Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Brian Watt. It's never too early to start talking about wildfires in California. The state is bracing for another catastrophic fire season, putting more than a half a billion dollars towards getting ready for it. A journalist, a meteorologist, and a pyrogeographer are going to talk us through it and help us think about what we can do. Then, at 940... Getting a Black Community Through COVID-19, From Testing to Vaccines. Dr. Kim Rhodes of UCSF and San Francisco documentary filmmaker and activist Kevin Epps join forces to get the coronavirus straight out of Hunter's Point. That's coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Brian Watt. California is adding $536 million to the budget for wildfire prevention. The money will go toward efforts including forest and vegetation management and the retrofitting and fireproofing of homes. As the state enters a second year of drought following 2020's record number of acres burned, some experts are raising concerns that the state isn't going far enough to avoid a crisis. To talk about the efforts underway to prevent another catastrophic wildfire season, we're joined by Julie Cart, environment reporter with Cal Matters. Welcome, Julie. Good to be with you. Great. And we've also got Don Hankins, professor of geography and planning at California State University, Chico. He's also a pyrogeographer and Plains Miwok fire expert. Thank you for being with us. Good morning. Thank you. And Craig Clements, professor of meteorology and director of the Wildfire Interdisciplinary Research Center at San Jose State University. Rounding out this panel, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me. So I want to start with Julie Cart. Uh, $536 million, that's more than twice what California set aside for wildfires in recent budget years. This is huge. But aside from the money, what is going to be different? What are we going to see that's different this fire season? Uh, well, it's huge, but it's only half of what's proposed uh, by the governor to be spent by the state. Uh, so half a billion is is just an early installment on what California intends to spend. I think that what this proposal, at least what the first tranche of it suggests, is the state is pivoting somewhat from fire suppression, which is putting out the fires, uh, to fire prevention. And I, we can hear what your other guests think, but um, a lot of folks are thinking that's the right way to go. Uh, do more what they call fuels reduction. So we're going to have to get used to people cutting more trees 
There are a lot of people who think California needs to pay a lot more attention to some traditional forms of fuels reductions, which are controlled burns. They're very difficult to pull off, but that's mm. a very, very useful way to approach this. Hardening homes, giving communities money, so agency to fireproof to the extent that you can these days, uh, your own community. So it's um, it's a different approach, which uh, is, some people think, a long time coming and needed. And my sense is that there is a lot, not just a lot more money than normal, but a lot more than expected. Do you know why that is, why the state is ready to put more resources into this and why the resources are there? Fire, like a lot of natural calamities, earthquakes and floods and things, affects a lot of people. So there is clearly a political aspect to this. Legislators have been burned out. They've been evacuated. They understand everyone's in their face all the time. Do something about this. So on a, a, a sort of cynical but very political level, uh, it's just a response to an emergency in the state. Uh, and we tend to throw a lot of money at emergencies. I think what this money represents, however, is a front loading, a front end, a prevention approach rather than how we fight fires in the American West, which is like a war. It's suppression. It's, it's uh, you know, all the terminology. We fight fires. We attack fires. So CAL FIRE is very focused and has a very clear mission of putting out fires immediately uh, of any size. And this uh, frees them up not only to do fire prevention work, but to have community members and, and uh, localities do some of that work for them. So it, that's very, very expensive. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about some of that work with Don Hankins, the pyrogeographer at Cal State Chico. Um, what do you like and what do you not like about what the state has decided to do so far ahead of this fire season? Yeah, well, I think what I like about it, obviously, is is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, we need to be thinking to put more fire on the ground, um, take more proactive measures to, um, you know, work within our landscapes to prevent wildfires as best we can. Mm-hmm. One of the best tools for doing that is the use of fire. Um, so when I look at some of the goals that are being addressed in, in terms of, you know, where the money is going to, it's it's increasing the amount of prescribed fire that is taking place. It's building capacity within communities to be able to handle that kind of work. Um, but it's still, you know, the budget is still very much uh, fire suppression focused, I would say, um, which are, you know, it's going to take a while to get to the change where we need to be uh, at the landscape scale for burning. So, you know, we're still going to have to have some suppression there. Um, one thing I think that I'm a little bit, concerned with, and I guess it's just timing with the budget, is that obviously we're in the early part of the, you know, the fire season. It's starting to get dry. We're starting to see wildfires starting to crop up in different areas of the state. Right. And, you know, if we're expecting something to change immediately, it's a little late for the money to be able to, to be used for that sort of thing, right? So mm. um, these are just some of the things that, that I see as initial, um, you know, things that we have to be aware of and know that it's not going to make the change within a, a one-year time frame, right? In as you mentioned, you I mean, you are an expert um, in prescribed burns using fire to prevent bigger fire. Um, this is something that, you know, as a Plains Miwok fire expert, you, you know, have looked at for a very long time. It's something that the Plains Miwok 
turned to in the past. Can you give us a little bit of history on this? Because this this will be a, a new thing for people, you know, when they smell smoke from a prescribed burn. Yeah, most definitely. Well, you know, our landscapes in California evolve with fire, and indigenous peoples throughout the state and across North America and elsewhere in the world have used fire for, you know, thousands of years and past climate events, you know, uh, warming, cooling, wetter periods, drier periods, fire has always been part of this landscape. And, uh, you know, that's going to be a shift for people to think about. And, and, you know, I think about like Scott Stevens and others work back in 2007, where they showed that, you know, roughly four and a half to 12 million acres within the state burned on an annual basis in pre-contact times. You know, when we're thinking about last year's fire season, and of course, that's over a shorter time period with the lightning ignitions, burning over 4 million acres within the state, you know, we're just getting to the lower threshold of, of potentially what could be burning. And I would argue that under the dry, drier conditions that we're currently experiencing, we should probably be seeing more fire. The difference is that, you know, in, in indigenous stewardship, that stewardship is taking place throughout the year. So it's not being um, set, you know, within a short period of a month or two and, and massive amounts of smoke impacts. It's more of a baseline level uh, impact from smoke that people would experience. So every ecosystem has a different range of time frames of when, it, when it's appropriate to burn within them and for those ecological and cultural outcomes to come from the, those places. Um, but that fire being applied to the landscape does help to minimize the, um, the risk of, of wildfires devastating communities, devastating the ecological condition of those landscapes and so forth. And that's really where the benefit of it is from. And I would just come back to the, the budget piece. One thing in that budget is actually some set aside for working on building capacity to get back to this very specific type of burning by supporting mm-hmm. uh, tribal burning. There's roughly you know $20 million that's, that's in this early budget that is focused on, on that tribal piece, which I think is, is encouraging too. Mm-hmm. We want to hear from you about the questions you have about the wildfire bill or the upcoming wildfire season. Please give us a call, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Now I want to touch base with Craig Clements, professor of meteorology, director of the Wildfire Interdisciplinary Research Center at San Jose State University. And I actually understand that very, very recently you were in the Santa Cruz Mountains collecting brush samples. I assume you are trying to see what we could be expecting coming up pretty soon. Yeah, so uh, these are samples that are done throughout the state from various agencies, and we have three sites in the Santa Cruz Mountains that uh, we sample every two weeks all year long. And this is done throughout the state. Even the utilities have multiple sites that they sample uh, the shrubs for fuel moisture content. It turns out that fire behavior is a function of not only the wind, when we have our big wind storms in both northern and southern California, but also what condition the fuels are in. And it's the living fuels, the live plants, that we have a hard time understanding because we have very few models that represent how they respond throughout the fire season. So we have to actually manually go out and we clip with garden shears, these fuels, and we take them back to our lab, and then we dry them, and we get the water content. And Mm. it turns out that April 1st was some of the driest conditions we've seen for the April 1st timeframe, which is usually when the fuel moistures are the highest across the state. 
So it was quite shocking. Wow. So uh, aside from Santa Cruz Mountains, are there current dry fuel moistures around the state that concern you a great deal uh, at this point? Yeah, uh, even the most recent, our recent samples from just two days ago uh, show that it's increasing. The plants are growing. We're getting what we call new growth. So these are green stems coming out of the shrubs. And that's what we were missing on April 1st across the state. And now we're seeing that. However, even with that, some sites in Southern California are well below their minimum for uh, those sites. So we're still very dry. These plants are still stressed from the drought. And so that could really set the stage for early fire season. Hmm. Uh, back to Julie Cart um, very quickly. Who, who are some of the stakeholders who say that the state could go even further um, in this moment? And, and what are they saying? It's it's very much what your guests have said. Um, there, are, it, it, it's certainly tribal entities are saying, why don't you look at us and and learn what we have done as um, as people through history? Um, fire ecologists, uh, you know, everybody who's on this call has said the same thing. We have to use fire as a tool. It's much, much cheaper. If you're removing vegetation, you can do uh, what they call a mechanical, which is cutting, or you can burn it. And burning, even though it's a very sophisticated thing, it's the cheapest thing to do. And that's one of the big deals. All right. We are going to a break, but we're going to keep this conversation going, hopefully with some calls in. Definitely some comments have come in, and we're going to address those. We are talking with Julie Cart, the environment reporter at Cal Matters, Don Hankins, pyrogeography and professor, pyrogeographer and professor at California State University, Chico, and Craig Clements, professor of meteorology at San Jose State University. This is Forum, and we'll be right back. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome to Forum. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Brian Watt. We are talking about a new state wildfire plan, whether it goes far enough. An impressive panel of experts to talk to us, including Julie Cart of Cal Matters, Don Hankins of Cal State University, Chico, and Craig Clements, professor of meteorology at San Jose State University. We also want to hear from you. You can call us now with your questions or things that are on your mind about wildfires, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Six. We've actually got a comment that I, you know, I kind of want to uh, take to Craig Clements, but let me um, let me read the comment. Hussam wants to know if there is any satellite technology that can t- detect wildfire smoke in the early stages of a potential and deadly fire. Craig Clements, I, I think you know a thing or two about 
technology that we might be using uh, this fire season? Yeah, so there are a lot of different technologies that are satellite-based. Uh, one is different imagers can see smoke, but for early detection of wildfire, we usually use the infrared imagery so we can detect the heat source. And it's getting better and better. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's a data set that is integrated into all the new tools that CAL FIRE has adapted to or adopted, excuse me, and they're using this latest technology into their forecasting system. And a lot of that has uh, operational satellite detection. So yes, it's available and we're actually using some satellite data for fuel moisture so we can look at fire danger as well. Let's actually take a call. We've got Nancy in Los Altos. Um, can we hear your question? Yes, thank you. Um, I'm terrified of wildfire, and it seems like a lot of the fires last year were uh, involved power lines. So I'm wondering what the plans are for rolling blackouts. And I know it takes a lot of courage to enact them, and people hate them, but they seem <laughs> necessary. It, uh, rolling blackouts is something we definitely have lived through in these past uh, few fire seasons. Um, Julie Cart, is are are you aware of sort of like what we should expect this go round when it comes to rolling blackouts? Yeah, it's it's <clears throat> the blackouts are not new; they're new across the state. But uh, San Diego's utility provider has been doing this for a number of years. It's a uh, hard to believe, but it's a safety effort. It's a, it's a power safety shut off. So when the, when there's high winds or uh, fire danger, high fire danger, severe fire danger, uh, they pre pro preemptively turn off the power supply to these poles and, and lines, and that's intended to prevent uh, fires. Um, the effort from the state before we, that point has been requiring the utilities to clear a path around their equipment and around their lines. And that's been undergoing for a couple of years. The new thing for the last couple of years is that, that these plans have been uh, presented to the state. The state looks at them. There's now new commissions and even within CAL FIRE uh, and the plans are analyzed and have to be approved by the Public Utilities Commission. So we will have more power safety shutoffs. That is now a, a standard operating procedure. The emphasis, however, uh, just, just like with the budget, is trying to spend the money ahead of time, prevent uh, the fires from starting from this equipment by uh, a number of ways. And one is clearing um, material away from them and, and the other is to spend a lot of money to upgrade equipment. So yeah, we're all afraid of fires and 92% of the fires in the state are caused by people. And a large percentage of that now, as we know, uh, come from utilities. So that's not gonna go away, but the idea is to use technology um, and uh, just preventative medicine now. Kathy writes to us, I suffer from asthma, and when there is smoke in the air, I have a most difficult time breathing. Are you working with groups like the American Lung Association to ensure best practices to limit the smoke from the controlled burns? Uh, this sounds like a question for Don Hankins, um, who knows a lot about controlled and prescribed burns. Um, is, is this something that is thought about when prescribed burns happen how it is that people who no matter whether it's a wildfire or a prescribed fire um people who struggle with this in their lungs and how they handle it 
Yeah, that's a great question. And absolutely, when there's a prescribed burn or even a cultural burn that's being applied within the landscape or even being planned, um, there's work that's done with our local air districts uh, through the Air Resources Board and our air regulations within the state and at the federal level to identify smoke-sensitive groups, identify the ideal conditions in which fire would be applied and what the model of uh, transport of that smoke would be to identify the affected communities. And so we work to minimize the the impacts of that smoke Um, that might be done through staging and breaking up a burn so that it's not, you know, a mass area that's being set at once on fire. Uh, Maybe it's breaking up that, you know, say 100-acre unit into smaller 10-acre units to kind of trickle that smoke into the environment and not have a a major impact to uh, smoke-receptive groups. But uh, definitely different, you know, in terms of thinking about like wildfire smoke, you know, with prescribed burning, we have a, a greater ability to pick the days that we want to have that smoke in the environment, how much smoke we're going to have. And ultimately, it leads to less emissions because of the maintenance of those areas, particularly when we come back in and reapply fire to those areas. You know, the initial time we put fire into a place, we might see a lot more smoke, and then the next time uh, we bring fire back into it, it's a, it's a lot less smoke. And so, um, you know, ultimately, I think in terms of, of folks with asthma and other health uh, concerns, the prescribed burn approach is going to help in the long run to alleviate the kind of impacts that we see from wildfires. Hmm. I'm jumping around a lot because I think when we talk about wildfires, there are so many issues that come to mind. But interestingly, many listeners are writing in about the use of goats to do brush control. I think this is one of those things that's always fun to see. Um, Are grazing goats going to continue to be part of the solution? I actually put that question to, to all of you to see, like, if you know about more goats this go round, yeah, it's not well, quite that, Brian. Uh, <laughs> but what did you say, Julie? Say, say that again, Julie. Sorry, <laughs> I said it's not in the budget. Oh, okay. I think somebody would be calling that out, but no, it, it it sounds cute and funny. Uh, it's very effective. Uh, they're cheap. They it's kind of a win win, um, and it's uh, it's used. It's widespread. Very common. Hmm. I, I, yeah. Donner. I would just offer that it's really difficult to get goats at the scale that you need it for um, and other grazers at the scale you need it to make the change. And, you know, their goats are not going to eat mature brush. Um, they, they might defoliate it, but then you still have a fuel problem. Um, you know, ultimately, fire is going to have to be the, the tool at the landscape scale mm-hmm. where goats can be utilized and other grazers at a localized scale. Um, for instance, you know, we in the town of Paradise, following the campfire, there are efforts underway to use grazers in that in that landscape. But, um, you know, they're not they're not at the landscape scale. You know, it's it's ultimately you know, fire and other tools that are going to be be the thing that's going to help to make the change uh, in stewarding that landscape going forward. Well, I would consider uh, goats a green technology, but uh, we have a caller in Bodega Bay, Joel, who uh, you might have some questions about green technologies, other ones that could be used to fight fires. Yeah, thanks, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm by no means uh, educated in fire suppression, but I own a good amount of property up north um, and have witnessed some new uh, products being used that are that are considered green products outside of the the FOS check that gets dropped on these fires. Um, 
I'm, I'm, I'm just, I guess my question is, why isn't there more talk about them? Why, why, aren't, why aren't they being used more? Is it because of the QPL, that, that they can't get through QPL? I talked to some of these people out in the field when they were using it. The, the efficacy was, in, it was incredible. Um, and I, I'm just I'm, I'm wondering why there isn't more discussion around that and why there's not more focus around that, uh, because I applaud your offensive uh, moves to, to, to take care of fires before they happen. Um, but being defensive is, is, you know, is, is always not where you want to play. You want to play on the offensive side, I'm guessing. But as I said, I'm no expert. I'd love to, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Craig Clements, any, any thoughts on some of the greener? I actually, actually anyone could tell me what QPL stands for (laughs) because I don't know that, but, uh, do you want to jump in here, Craig Clements at, uh, SJSU? Uh, well, I, I think there's a lot of different technologies out there and it's up to the fire services to really kind of vet those. I think they are looking at lots of different preventive actions, obviously, but during fire suppression, you know, we see that a lot of things work well, some things don't, but I think that's part of the whole up and coming, changing and utilizing new technologies. Craig, is there any way we can know what kind of fire season we can expect this go round? I mean, how intense are the heat waves and wind events going to be? It's, it's hard to know that now, right? Yeah, those things are hard to forecast out. Like, are we going to have this uh, many wind events? Are we going to have a heat wave? But what uh, there, you know, there's government agencies that do the prediction. So we have predictive services that put out a, a fire potential outlook. And so it's looking pretty normal for June, mm-hmm. but it's looking higher in July. And they, they look at fuel moistures. They look at forecasted uh, seasonal temperatures. So if we think we're getting warmer, which is what they're predicting, that we're going to have a warmer summer, then we can think about, well, this fire season could be worse. But we can't really predict the how many offshore or downslope windstorm events that we would have, either in northern or southern California. That's something that we can't predict the, the amount or how strong those winds are going to be or the duration. We can't predict that until we get to... Like that week, the week ahead, we get a pretty good idea. And that's why we get into PSPS. So, Hmm. you know, we can predict when we're going to have power shutoffs. Right. You know, I feel like this past season, we were dealt a pretty bad hand by lightning strikes. I mean, as a newscaster for KQED News, I felt like I had never talked so much about lightning complexes as I did last year. But there's there's no way to know how much lightning is going to come in in a moment. Am I no, correct? and that yeah, that's correct, and that's that's another that's another thing that the that we forecast, but we won't know if we get the trop the subtropical moisture moving in through the state, and if it's going to uh, create dry lightning. Now, if we look back at two thousand eight, we had another lightning event. We have these every so often. It's not like they're uncommon, but they're just not every year. It's every few years that we get that, and the biggest one was two thousand eight before twenty twenty, and we had that in June, and so we had thousands of ignitions, but because June we have higher fuel moisture contents, those fires didn't really take off. And so that's, that's, you know, if we have another situation like 2020 where we have a heat wave and then we have a lightning event following that immediately, it could be pretty bad. I want to go to another call now. Uh, Jameson, who is in Oakland and Nevada City. Um, what's on your mind, Jameson? 
Yeah, so um, thanks for taking my call and for getting ahead of this early uh, before we fire season really ramps up. It's something that everybody in the state of California and beyond should really be paying attention to. Um, so, yeah, I, I, more or less, I just spent the last six months clearing a ton of land. It's very, very physically uh, demanding, but to protect my home and the homes around me, it was necessary. Um, not a lot of people have the time, the budget, and, and the physical abilities in the state to actually do that level of work that's necessary to pull brush, cut down trees, uh, and then chip it all or dispose of the green waste. My question really is, um, is the state, besides just relying on CAL FIRE, like where, how can we re find extra resources to boister this, to pay for clearing, to offer more services for people um, who can't actually tend to these lands and, of course, some of these more rural areas, because it will eventually affect everybody in the state. Um, and so it would be very beneficial if there was a way that we could find resources, some sort of fundraising efforts. I mean, is the state working on that at all? That's, the, that's my question. Okay. Uh, Julie Cart, in your hard look at the wildfire budget plan, uh, you have answers to Jay's question? Yeah, Jay's right. Um, it is an onerous responsibility. It is a responsibility, and it's a legal one, for homeowners to clear dispensable, defensible space, not just around their home, but to make sure that they, their land, if they're in a large property, is not harboring these fuel uh, heavy fuel loads or piles, slash piles and things like that. And the budget, and this has been true for a number of years, there are fire safe councils in most communities, particularly in the Sierras and areas that are in the high fire severity zones. There's, there's hundreds of millions of dollars for that. Now, if you're on the ground in those communities, you may, you may say, well, we never see it, but it is, uh, it's earmarked, it's sent, and it goes through local councils Seems like we might have just lost. Money, and it doesn't, okay. it's, it isn't all on the homeowner. Oh, okay. Um, I, I think we lost the last part of your sentence. Will you just say that one more time, Julie, the very last thing you said, um, just so that uh, Jameson gets uh, the full answer? Sure. Um, oh. Millions of dollars for this in the budget. And it, the, the responsibility doesn't fall only on the homeowner. If you find your fire safe council in the community or county, okay. I want to go to Don Hankins because you, you know, you're dealing with this at a very, very local level. Are you aware of resources and ways that people who have this land that needs to be cleared, things that they can tap into if they're unable to get it done on their own. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and, and I actually live in that kind of environment in my own. Uh, so, uh, yeah, either you're doing it yourself, as, as Jameson was mentioning, um, and, and, you know, if you're able to do that, that's a, definitely something that you should be trying to do. In fact, you know, being home for the last year um, under the COVID restrictions, I've been able to take care of a lot of work on my own property and um and, and you know be able to make some changes that, that are necessary but in terms of the the other um aspects of that you know the fire safe councils um you know locally can can have a, a great you know source of, of funding for that um, for like a chipper program uh, in butte county we have the what we call the residence assistance program which is for like low income or elderly folks who aren't able to handle doing that work on their own um, there's also, you know, other kinds of grant funds that are available. Um, and then, 
other organizations that, that might be able to do this if you have the financial means to be able to pay a contractor to come in and do it. There's a lot of different contractors that are out there doing uh, vegetation reduction and fuel reduction um, work, and that includes even doing prescribed burning. So there's there's different organizations that are out there now that actually are, you know, like prescribed fire crews that are available for hire. And, you know, I think in the, in the bigger picture, like when you think about where strategically, obviously, you know, the home site is, is an important thing. So you want to protect around your home. But then you have to think about, well, there's a saying within the fire world that, you know, your, your place is only as safe as your neighbor's. So if your neighbor isn't in good shape and, uh, you know, they, they need to have some work done, either one, you ask the question, well, are they willing to do the work? Uh, two, are they able to do the work? And, and then, you know, if they're not able to, are you able to help them with that? And um, so, you know, within my own neighborhood, we've been kind of building a, a network between the homes to, to try to reduce the fuels and it's strategically located along a ridge line um, that, that are tying into other projects that kind of become an anchor point within the landscape and hopefully change the way the fire moves through this, this landscape and more hopefully within our own terms rather than um, wildfire terms, right? Yes, right, indeed. Hopefully on our own terms rather than on the wildfire terms. We've been talking to Don Hankins, pyrogeography at Cal State Chico and Plains Miwok fire expert, also Julie Cart of Cal Matters, and Craig Clements, professor of meteorology and director of the Wildfire Interdisciplinary Research Center at San Jose State University. Thanks to all three of you for joining us for this discussion, which could go on and on, but we've got to end it here. Thank you so much. Thank you. And I'm Brian Watt. We will be back in just a bit. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.